The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not how it's supposed to work, this parable of the dishonest manager. He works for a rich man and he's been entrusted with handling his employer's possessions. He's the steward of the household and he has to be above reproach. The problem is that he is not. He's accused of wasting the rich man's possessions, so he has to go. The rich man calls him in and says, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. That's the part of this parable that makes sense. Here's the part that doesn't. The rich man terminates the manager, but not right away. In the corporate world, when someone is fired, it's effective immediately. A dishonest manager is accompanied by security while he cleans out his desk and takes the walk of shame out the front door. 
This isn't about shame, but security. His employers want to make sure that he takes nothing and does no damage on the way out. If he was abusing his position while he was trying to keep his job, what is he going to do now that he's been fired? That's not what the rich man does in the parable, though. He says, you can no longer be manager, but then he keeps him around for a while and with access to his finances. And what does the dishonest manager do? He manages things dishonestly for his own personal gain. He starts contacting his master's debtors, cooking the books to reduce their bills. He's not being charitable. He's looking out for himself. That way, when he is finally kicked out, he'll have friends who remember and take him in. Remember, he can only do this because the rich man has given him the heads up that he's fired, but left him in place with access to his stuff. What does that make the rich man? And what did he expect would happen? Either he's foolish, or else he's complicit. After all, he commends the manager for his shrewdness. He commends the manager for using his stuff at his cost in order to find favor with his debtors. Of all the parables Jesus tells, this is one of the most enigmatic, especially since he goes right on to say, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. A preacher looks at this and is tempted to say, Let's just let Jesus handle this one, speak for himself, and we'll move on to the prayers. At least the sermon would be short. Since Jesus says this parable is about you, though, We better take a look at you. You're a dishonest steward. The word for dishonest in the text is actually unrighteous. And you're certainly not righteous apart from Christ. You are, however, a steward. What you have is what God has creatively entrusted to you, including body and soul, eyes, ears, and all your members, your reason and all your senses. Also clothing and shoes, food and drink, spouse and children, land, animals, and all that you have. The Lord makes you who you are and provides you with all that you have, and that is for a purpose. For all this, it is your duty to thank and praise, serve and obey Him. This is most certainly true. You are then to use your body and soul, eyes, ears, and all your members, your reason and all your senses, in service to the Lord. To be a righteous steward of these gifts that are entrusted to you, use them in the way that God intends. So, do you use your body and mind in service more to others or yourself? Is your priority the well-being of others, or are you far more focused on your own comfort, enjoyment, and peace of mind? Are you content with who God has made you to be, or are you unhappy with that and jealous of the talents and skills of others? Do you use your body and mind to satisfy your appetites, or to love your neighbor as yourself? Likewise, do you make use of your resources for yourself or for others? 
How much stuff do you really need? And how about those times when you bought something and then realized what a silly purchase it was? Do you misuse technology? How's that browser history looking? Are you at least content with what God has entrusted to you? Or do you resent what he hasn't given and then covet what he's entrusted to others? With all that God has given to you, are you giving a God-pleasing amount of your income and offerings to the church and to charity? How about God's gifts for your soul, his law and his gospel, his word and his sacraments? Do you make proper use of these for yourself and for others, or do you tend to regard his word as a handy backup to your opinion when it agrees with you, and regard his sacraments as an out when you've messed up and sinned? That's a pretty quick guide to self-examination, but I'm betting it's enough to do the trick. Are you a righteous steward? Do you make righteous use of the gifts that God has given? If you are unrighteous, what does the Lord say? Well, you know, if you are unrighteous, he says that you can no longer be his people. You have to leave the household. The wages of sin is death. You will, of course, be working to rationalize why you do what you do, explaining why in the big picture it all makes sense and at least you've gotten better than you were before and you're not as bad as other people. After all, if you're that bad, then why are you still here? The wages of sin is death. Then why are you still alive? This is the sort of thinking that is driving the Pharisees' ridicule of Jesus, where he says to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Like them, you want to keep your sin and justify yourself, but God knows your heart. Nevertheless, this is a good question. If you're unrighteous, then why are you still here? If the wages of sin is death, then why are you still alive? We'll throw in this. If God knows that you're misusing so much of what he has given, then why does he keep giving it to you? Obviously, God is the rich man in the parable, but he's neither foolish nor complicit. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So while it's absolutely true that you deserve to be removed from your stewardship and escorted out the gates right now, he keeps you. He continues to give you access to all that he's given, even though he knows you're going to keep misusing it a fair amount of the time. He patiently endures your sin. But why? I'm pretty sure that you can answer that and say that he does this for Jesus' sake. In fact, I've been wondering if we find Jesus in the parable itself. After all, we only hear that the manager is accused of wasting the rich man's possessions, but we don't know if the accusations are true. We know that because of the accusations that the manager bears, the rich man is going to turn him out of the house. What does the manager do in the meantime? He keeps going about his job... Well, especially if his job is reducing the debts of his boss's debtors. 
Well, at the cross, Jesus is falsely accused of all sorts of sins by the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the crowd. He's falsely accused of being unrighteous and thus misusing who God has made him to be and what God would have him do. However, although the charges are false, at the cross, God still declares that Jesus is no longer his son. Jesus makes this clear with his cry of dereliction, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But why does the Father condemn the Son? To reduce your debt of sin. To pay it off completely, actually. Risen from the dead, Jesus doesn't say, Take the list of sins that make you guilty before God and cross off half of them. He didn't die to make you 50% less unrighteous before God. Instead, he declares that he forgives you for all your sins. In that case, that's why the rich man keeps the manager around, because they're in cahoots for your salvation. Now, I'm not totally sure that Jesus means to make himself the dishonest manager in the parable, but scripture is clear from start to finish that he comes to forgive the debt of your sin. Beware the temptations of wealth. It's easy to think of wealth as what people have when they have more than you. But if you travel the world a bit, you'll find that there's no one in this room who is not among the wealthiest on the planet. The Lord has blessed you richly, even if you don't realize. And so even if you don't realize, you're tempted to idolize the wealth that you have. When Jesus warns that no man can serve two masters and that you cannot serve God and money, he's not talking to people around you. He's talking to you. He does tell you to make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. That sounds a little strange at first as if you're to grease the palms of the unrighteous for your own gain. But then you get to that eternal dwellings part. See, if these have eternal dwellings, it means that they're saved. So the friends here are those who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus and have eternal life. Make use of what God entrusts to you, says Jesus, to do what he would have you do. And so he will further his kingdom through you. Whatever else, always, always rejoice in the patience and mercy of the Lord. Though you still misuse what he gives and you sin daily and much, the Lord continues to give all that you need for this body and life. More than that, he continues to give you all that you need for your soul and eternal life. For he continues to give you grace and salvation because Jesus has taken your debt away and given you his life and righteousness instead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.